0: Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Jussi. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm here with Jussi again, who is attending Ignite. I am attending Ignite remotely. What's up, Jussi?
0: Good morning from Orlando. It is seven o'clock in the morning. It's, um, it's been a rough weekend for me because I flew from, uh, Dubai back to Helsinki. I was on holidays with the family in Dubai for a week and I could only get the flight for the very next day. So I landed in Helsinki on a Friday evening at 11. And then, uh, then we went home with the family. I changed my bags and I took off to Orlando. It's about 16, 17 hours door to door. So now I'm I'm slowly starting to starting to adjust to the new time zone, but also the jet lag is starting to find me.
1: Do they have coffee in America?
0: They they do have coffee. I am still <laughs> in my hotel room, and and luckily I have my Starbucks coffee. But I I have to admit, even though I kind of like the Starbucks coffee, the one you get in your own hotel room with the small, super small machine, it's it's not really the same.
1: Right. But, well, it sounds like it's a pretty long trip, 16 hours. You know, Door-to-door is a pretty long trip, so coffee might be good or whatever fuel you, you put in, in, into your body. Uh, I usually go to the gym when I travel. Do you do that?
0: Yeah, I do. And uh, somebody gave me the advice that, that when you land, you get to the hotel, you, you, you get your room, immediately go to the gym for 20 minutes. Nothing, nothing super uh, exhausting more like a bit of treadmill, a bit of lifting weights, just to get your body kind of going. So I did that yesterday, and I think I mentioned that before that I hired a personal trainer um, to go through the the, the exercises and the the movements at gym correctly, and kind of designing my weeks around those. And it's starting to pay off now because going to the gym, it's super fun because the, the programs that I have, they are not this... 75 minutes super exhausting 27 different different machines and and, and and weights it's more like do these four things correctly and and with some thoughtful effort and then you're done and, and you can go back to your hotel room in 25 minutes and that works for me really well I, I can relate
1: to that uh, when I did a lot of traveling but also back here at home I also had a, a personal trainer and what I did was I, I had one single thing that I asked for or well, actually two things. One, number one, pull me out of bed, get me to the gym early in the morning. Cause I always yep. went to the gym at six o'clock in the morning. Well, wow. that, that did it for me. That was really, really good. But also my exercising cannot go above 30 minutes because then I will not do it. Yep. Not because it's... it takes too long. It's just, you know, for me, that's a mental block, I guess. If you, push it down to 30 minutes and make it more intense. I'll do it. No problem. Yep.
0: Exactly. And and if it goes beyond 30 minutes, then it starts to require a bit more planning, a bit more scheduling and a bit more, yeah, do I have the time now or not? Yeah. Uh, especially now the winter season coming, that will cause a bit of more challenges because you have to have different clothing when you get there and different clothing when you can come out because it's going to be really cold outside. But I think it's a, it's a positive challenge. Uh, so, on on that note, uh, just a quick a quick um, side note as well. Uh, while I was, while I was in Dubai, I needed to do something uh, on one of the virtual machines I have at home. So I've I've got this fairly nice uh, server, a PC running at home, and it's wait hosts- wait wait, you're not in the cloud. I'm, I'm hybrid. Okay, I'm, let me just I'm, make a note I, of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm both in on-premises and in the cloud. So I run a lot of things in the cloud. But there's some things I still prefer running locally. And, and one of those things is WordPress. So right. I run WordPress locally in a virtual machine. Then I generate static pages when I need to publish something. And I simply push those to the cloud automatically. Mm-hmm. So in order for me to create new content, I need to VPN home. Uh, RDP to the VM or just use a browser and and open the WordPress do my stuff press generate and see that it completes and while I was in Dubai I I was by the pool Uh, family was enjoying the the weather I took my laptop I opened VPN it opened nicely through the hotel wi-fi but nothing went through the connection was open but no packages or no, no no packets went through Mm-hmm. And, and I thought maybe something broke at home. I've, I've got a fairly robust system, but something might break because it's not the cloud. Um, and I did a bit of research and I found out that VPN is legal. It's allowed. But certain states owned or state, uh, partially state owned operators consistently block VPN just to be on the safe side. Okay. Uh, and I started figuring, okay, I really need to do this. How do I get there? And normally people just enjoy their holidays, but I I really wanted to connect back home to check everything is fine. And what I ended up doing, and I was quite proud of myself, I spun up a virtual machine in the new uh, uh, Dubai, or it's not Dubai, it's United Arab Emirates data center. I spun up a VM there, and from that VM, I allowed RDP directly to home based on the static IP I gave to, to the VM. I couldn't use VPN from there because it would cut off my connection to the VM first. Right, and that worked great. Okay, I was, I was, sounds I, like a nice vacation. <laughs> oh yeah, it was <laughs> it was it was nice because you get the sun, you you get to hang at the beach and at the pool, but you also get to do stuff that you really enjoy about. Yeah. So that's probably top of mind for me. How about for you?
1: So for me is while you're at Ignite in person, I am attending Ignite remotely. So I've pretty much blocked all of this week uh, which is my evening time is when the Ignite starts uh, in the morning in Orlando and I will attend all the keynotes and the breakouts that looks interesting uh, from over here. Um, but another thing you know, I've uh, just noticed today is uh, Microsoft Flow is now being renamed to Power Automate. Yes. Which, you know, it, if I look at, at Twitter right now, there it, it's causing some uh, emotions I might say and I mean I like the name I don't know I, I see a lot of people questioning the name but to be honest power automate if you need to automate something you that's what you do and if you need bi it's power bi if you need apps it's power apps I like it I don't know uh,
0: I, I like it I like it as well because the power is consistent in there if you exclude powerpoint but everything on power <laughs> platform makes sense now
1: yeah Wow, PowerPoint, that would be the, la- the latest in the Power <laughs> Platform. That would be PowerPoint, yeah. I really hope not. Um, the other thing I'm uh, that, that's top of mind for me, which I think actually we can do an entire episode about later, is in DevOps, in Azure DevOps, I'm using something called Microsoft Secure Code Analysis Extension to help an, uh, analyze whatever we put into our code repositories so we can automatically fail our builds if there's something uh, with known vulnerabilities coming into the code. And there's also extensions for ARM template security checks. So if you do a lot of deployments and you have those uh, like infrastructure as code or IAAC in DevOps, then you can also automatically now check those ARM templates for security uh, gaps or vulnerabilities or room for improvements according to the best practices. So that's also pretty cool. But that's I, I believe that will be enough uh, content to, to uh, have an entire different show only covering that.
0: I agree. And uh, just quickly hopping back to Flow or Power Automate now, one of the things I, I noticed with the announcement is that the, the, the flows that you create, that, that the workflows, that the orchestrations are now called, uh, I think they're called UI flows so you have power automate which is the platform and the service but then you have ui flows for also creating these uh robotic automations meaning that uh, that record my mouse record my keyboard and then allow me to do this sort of macro and automation and that's 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 interesting but it's going to confuse a lot of people on on what am i really building now is it the flow is it the ui flow is it an automate or something else
1: right uh, I, I've not dwelled into that at all. Um, I'm really hoping that Microsoft will shed some light on these things as the week progresses throughout Ignite here. Um, what other things, like if we now dive into things that are that are happening in the Azure space, what are things that you've seen this week coming out of Ignite?
0: So there's a torrent of of announcements and and releases, and I was just reflecting this on on the way here, uh, it used to be so that Microsoft or other software vendors would would announce a new server release, let's say Windows Server this and this, and you would know that for the next two years you get to concentrate on that until you get the new version. So that kind of builds out the the schedule for you to learn and and for you to anticipate what's coming. And now I'm realizing that Ignites and Microsoft built they kind of have this TikTok kind of announcement cycle for a calendar year, meaning that now that we're, we're close to end, end of 2019, it means there's a lot of announcements. And some some um, announcements are are massive and others are tiny, small things that wouldn't really require an event like Ignite to be announced, but it makes sense to package them all together and then announced that, that during Ignite we came out with this, this and this. Yeah, so, a lot of like enhancements to
1: existing services, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I also see there there's a lot of interesting new announcements, but then there's a lot of small tiny tweaks that this and this service in Azure is is getting a new button doing this. Okay, that's useful. But that's how I expect cloud-based services to to evolve. There's new things coming every week or every second week, and I don't really need necessarily a specific announcement on each tiny detail.
1: Yeah. that's. I mean, that's pretty much what the message centers are for, right? Yeah. So when, when new capabilities are rolling out, you'll be able to stay ahead of that because of the message center. And then bigger changes, uh, like I'm, I've got some things I want to dwell into here in this episode is, um those things make perfect sense to announce at Ignite. Um, yeah.
0: So, so uh, yeah, let me let me raise uh the first real announcement that I find highly interesting, but it's it's also a bit fuzzy for now. So it's called Azure Arc. And it's it's an extended Azure management solution. And and, and the promise is going to be that customers on Azure can use Azure Arc to to manage something else that's not Azure, meaning servers and, and, and containers and Kubernetes clusters. So my understanding is that Azure Arc is this sort of hybrid extension. If you run virtual machines in a different cloud or in on-premises, you can use Azure Arc to extend that management there without resorting to something like Azure Stack, which is both a hardware and a software solution and requires massive investments.
1: All right. Yeah, that does sound pretty interesting. So is that out in preview or?
0: Yeah, it's out in preview uh, now. Now and um, also the Kubernetes support is out in preview. And, And I understand that Azure Arc might expand in the future to include other workloads as well. So it will be interesting to see uh, what the pricing model is going to be for this, or is it going to be perhaps free? If, if Is it going to be an extension to Azure portal? But I, I suspect there's going to be the ARM template uh, sort of deployment approach because that's the underlying model for generally extending anything from Azure.
1: Yeah, all right, that makes sense. Um, and speaking of, of hybrid and cloud, one thing that I noticed now that I really like is something called Azure internet analyzer, which is also coming out into preview. Uh, Cause a, a common scenario we have these days is organizations are moving to the cloud or they want to move to the cloud or they want to investigate the impact of moving to the cloud. And in doing so, you need to understand how are, are the users going to be affected by moving to the cloud. Right? So for moving existing applications You know, it comes with challenges and benefits alike. And how will those end users of existing applications be affected by performance, load times, and other things uh, when you move your on-prem web app to the cloud, for example? Now then you can integrate the Azure Internet Analyzer to your existing web applications and enable a kind of A-B testing. So from your existing web apps, ergo, you have not moved to the cloud yet, but in your existing apps, you can now... Uh, measure latency between the apps and users and the testing endpoints in Azure. And that gives you insights to the user's experience across the internet when you go cloud. So even before you even try to start doing a migration to the cloud with the entire workload or entire web apps, you can try and understand already now what latency issues are going to have? Are there going to be bandwidth issues or load time issues or performance issues? Um, it will give you like this insight and guidance on which Azure service can help accelerate the performance best. So I I really like that. I am eager to check that out and see how this can be applied to existing web apps and existing applications to try and set up a scenario where we know we're going to the cloud, we're not there yet, in order to figure out if it's even gonna work, you know, without too many constraints. Let's enable this type of A-B testing between Azure endpoints and the users, and then we'll get real data, not estimates and not assumptions. You will get real data based on real performance. I really like that.
0: So, as I understand this, uh, the data that I would be getting back from the Azure Internet Analyzer is both latency and the sort of user experience that when you have this and this sort of solution hosted on Azure, the users might experience visiting or using that service like this.
1: That that's my hope. Yeah, I I haven't drilled down into all the details of exact how it's going to work, and probably by the time it reaches GA, uh, it's probably changed a little bit. Uh, but yeah, you get these data points, and you will be able to make better decisions on moving to the cloud.
0: And there's there's something not quite similar, but there's something in Application Insights now. So so of course you get the latency, you get the exceptions, you get this sort of dashboard on the technical sides, and. There's a little bit on the user experience side, like what were the pages or what were the actions the users took, and perhaps they they put a product in a shopping cart, what happened then, mm-hmm. and that that gives you the technical viewpoint but yeah. this 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 will definitely be interesting in in seeing what sort of analysis can you extract and can you reuse that data perhaps through uh log analytics or or just in Azure Monitor to do quick queries about okay. This user did this. Let's examine this a bit further.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And, and user flow analysis in Application Insights is pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, to see what landing page do they come on, what do they do, how do they go, where do they navigate next, and what's going on along the, the way of doing that. And also tracking exceptions and stuff and metrics in real time. It's, uh, I really like it.
0: It's impressive. It is. It is uh, another announcement. A bit more, perhaps, on the on the ID Pro and, and security side is passwordless authentication. So so that's been in public preview uh, since last year, but now the announcement and and I'm I'm reading the announcement uh, with hopes that it will be free of charge now for all Azure Active Directory customers and as passwordless typically requires you use the Microsoft Authenticator app on your mobile device. Uh, That would also entail that multi-factor authentication and or passwordless authentication would be free of charge for all Azure AD users. But there's this one sentence in the announcement that says customers with more than 150 seats can also now contact Microsoft to set up the capability uh, through fast track. So I think that's that's an added benefit in there, not a restriction that you have to have at least 150 seats. That wouldn't make sense.
1: Right. And I, I really like where things are going with this. And I'm I'm using a YubiKey, which is also a, a way to do passwordless where I have a physical key that can take my fingerprint or when I touch it with my finger, it activates and can send the secure codes over to my laptop that I'm using. So whenever I sign in, I can also do this passwordless Uh, using that, which is uh, instead of using uh, a code on the Authenticator app. So hopefully those things will also uh, be easier to do uh, down the road because I I have seen announcements and I have seen people use YubiKey with Azure AD. Um, But sometimes it looks like it was a little bit of a hurdle to get it up and running, especially trying to onboard end users. So hopefully that's also an area that can improve because passwordless is really powerful.
0: Yeah, I, I fully agree. Uh, one of the the interesting things with passwordless for me has been I, I use it for some of my main accounts, uh, especially the global admin accounts. And for some, I have the Fido2 YubiKey key, the USB-based based key. It's something like $15 when you order online. And, and for some of my accounts, I simply use the passwordless uh, experience through Microsoft Authenticator. So one interesting bit in there is that if you lose the FIDO2 key, you of course also have the PIN and you can then go back to using your password and the traditional MFA or passwordless if that's configured as well. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool.
1: Um, and my my first encounter with these type of passwordless devices actually were quite some years ago when I was... Playing around with cryptocurrencies because, you know, in order to have a secure wallet, the best way was to have a hardware device. And that's pretty much the same concept. You have a hardware device where you're, uh, which is only accessible using a PIN code. And then this device handles the transaction to the web pages and whatever. So you don't have to type passwords in because then even if someone can see your screen, they cannot grab your password. And even if they can read the data you transmit, they cannot read your password. So I I like this idea of passwordless. Uh, One thing I'm uh, curious about is to see what happens with something called Azure cost management now for cloud solution partners. So this is going GA. uh, So this is now generally available and something that enables partners to analyze the cost through dashboards. And, you know, it enables this typical rich filtering capabilities. So you can leverage data from Azure Advisor within the Azure cost management service. So you will get greater insights, easier to stay on top of the cost when you're managing solutions in the cloud. And then as a cloud solution partner, you can now benefit from this as well. So hopefully it will be easier for these cloud partners to kind of combine and see everything from a single place uh, and be able to easier drill down into costs uh, coming from various parts of Azure as well.
0: I'm, I'm really impressed with Azure cost management. Uh, the version that we currently have available, I use it quite often because I have multiple subscriptions and some of those have super strict quotas on, on, on spending because I want to avoid that myself. I accidentally provision something and forget about it. Like that VM that I use to hop back, 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 back to my home network. That's one. Uh, even though I could set up an Azure policy to to stop me from doing stupid things but I like to keep that freedom but at the same time I'd like to look up at the budget and and think how I'm spending money because it's invisible now it's not like you purchase a license and 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 you allocate that over three years as an investment it's more of a, let's let's uh provision this and then you kind of forget how much it's going to cost you yep. so Azure cost management I'm impressed where it's going Really happy to see it now go to CSPs, the cloud solution providers or cloud solution partners, so that they could they could help their customers as well to optimize cost. Uh, another thing uh, which I've been waiting for quite some time now is the Azure App Service Manager certificate support. So obviously Azure App Service, meaning web apps and and Azure Functions and and what have you, they support certificates. But the support, especially on Office 365 side, as well as on Azure, uh, typically kind of leaves you alone in figuring out what goes where. You have to purchase your certificate for securing your website from one place. You have to generate the the, the request. You have to get the private keys, the certificates. You have to understand the formats. You have to possibly convert those online and something like let's encrypt hasn't been officially supported even though i i saw on github somebody did this sort of solution around it but it it seemed a bit of a hack and the managed certificates as i understand it now allows me to generate a tls certificates with a click of a button for a given app service meaning a web app or a function
1: nice And this is a hurdle that I've seen a lot of people kind of hit their toes on when going live into the cloud is how do you manage the certificates? Where do you get them from? How do you get them trusted? And a lot of people use Cloudflare and if all your data goes through Cloudflare and you use their certificate, you're all good. But if you then need a valid CA authority certificate for your app that does not go through Cloudflare, you know, the the hurdle of managing that always becomes a little bit more.
0: Yeah. So I'm happy, I happy
1: to see improvements there.
0: I think we're both old enough to still recall the time when mobile phones became widely available in the early 90s. And and you'd send a text message, an SMS to somebody, and, and you would pay individually for each of those messages. And I think it was was capped at 160 characters at the time. So you really had to had to condense your message if if you wanted to set up something. And I remember uh, checking the prices, perhaps it was 15 cents per cent message. And I figured it, it feels awfully expensive because I'm I'm using the, the, the leftover bandwidth with the mobile phone to the mobile network. And the operator is getting a lot of revenue for something so simple. And I've always felt the same for TLS or SSL certificates. Obviously, there's a lot more the sort of operator or service provider needs to do now. But once that's set up, it feels you're printing money and, and it's self-serving in that sense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping this Azure App Service Managed Certificate Solution will really be free and, um, and it will be easy for more customers to secure the platforms.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd really like that. Uh, simplification and enabling easier configuration for security uh, is is always key. And speaking about security, uh, there's also the Azure Security Center that comes with a plethora of enhancements. Um, And there's now something like Azure Security Center Community, and that's a thing. And if you're in the security space or if you're an IT pro or an architect, solution architect, if you're at some level responsible for getting resources up and running in Azure, it's also your responsibility to understand how those are secured. Uh, and if that's not your immediate responsibility, then probably a colleague of yours has that responsibility. And with Astro Security Center, these things just become more simple all the time, and, and the enhancements there are really impressive. And uh, Some things I really like, uh, because I've been working a lot with containers and containerizing applications, is now in... Um, the security center, you will also be able to run vulnerability assessments for container registries. So if you have grabbed an image off of internet and you base your workloads on that, and then you run it, and you have no idea what's going on inside of that base image, now you will at least get, you know, a baseline security scan for vulnerabilities uh, with the help of Azure Security Center. Uh, this is important regardless if you use a public Image distributed by Microsoft that might use dependencies you have no idea about, or if you build your own image and based on your own Debian or whatever, you know, wherever you get those images from, make sure that you look into um, the vulnerability assessments for Azure Container Registry, because whatever images you put in there, you will not be able to analyze them. That's pretty, pretty
0: important. So for Azure Container, Container Registry, I can uh, create my own containers, upload those to the registry, and then uh, provision them from there. Or I can pull whatever containers from different uh, repositories, public or private, and have them stored in, in the registry. And now with this uh, um, add-on or this new feature in Azure Security Center, it allows me to run a vulnerability assessment against any containers I have in the registry, if I understand this correctly
1: yeah the way the way I understand it is whatever you put inside your Azure container registry is what you will be able to run a, a vulnerability assessment on, so this is also something I'm going to try out. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to maybe do an episode on that at the same time as we do this uh, devops and and secure code analysis episode, maybe we can bundle this in there and and yeah whatever experiences we have with that at that point we can then share. So I'm really hoping for good improvements there. And also in the security center, another thing is that there's now support for additional regulatory compliance standards because um, there's already things like CIS, PCI DSS, ISO 27001, SOC, TSP. You know, for, for some of this might just be acronym heaven, but if you do policies, uh, corporate policies and... If you do some type of compliance governance, then you might know about a lot of these things. One thing that I've been missing is NIST or NIST. This is coming now in uh, yeah version SP 800-53R4, if that tells you anything. <laughs> uh, so policies are being expanded on. Uh, there's Canada, federal, PBMM, UK official, UK NHS, um, Also, existing standards like the CIS 1.1.0 gets an update too. So with Azure policies and this regulatory compliance, we can now stay even more on top of things that are configuration, best practices, security, all of these things, everything to help our organization comply with whatever industry standard exists.
0: I really like that Azure Security Center is getting so much new features. Uh, one thing I want to raise from all of <clears throat> all of the things that Azure Security Center is getting is the um the faster security implementation. So it has a bunch of additional features in there. One being that you can automate things that you get from Azure Security Center, perhaps an, an alert or or a notification that something needs to be done. And you can use Azure Logic Apps now to access and react based on those. So instead of just sending an email to a global admin, you can actually react and do something about it.
1: Right. Yeah, that's very nice.
0: The, and and the, is, is
1: that related to, like, uh, how do you call these, these actions, the um, remediative actions you can to, do when you get a security alerts?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'm hoping that Logic Apps will get these predefined actions that you can simply click that if a user uh, is logging in, but MFA authentication failed three times, perhaps do this, this, and this then. And, and react accordingly based on, on the parameters or the properties you get from that specific event. Right. The The other thing that I feel is worth highlighting is Azure Security Center—it's at the at the core and at the center of Azure security. But then there's a lot of security-related things like the passwordless authentication in Azure AD, and and then we have Azure Sentinel, which is also a critical piece now in 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 securing everything you have in the cloud and also everything you have in on-prem. So. This will be challenging for people to, to keep up with because you need to understand Azure Security Center in depth now. You need to understand Azure Sentinel, and that implies you need to do log analytics and the query language. And then you also need to understand Azure AD, the licenses, the APIs in there, the authentication models in there.
1: I mean, you you, you mentioned so many things, but I, I mean, when I, when I started working with this stuff, you know, someone told me, just go to the cloud, it's easy. <laughs> yep. Yeah
0: right? <laughs> what yep. could possibly go wrong? <laughs> exactly. Although admittedly, a lot of the things you get in the cloud are secure by default. But once you start mm-hmm. provisioning things, there's all sorts of, of, of tweaks you can do on top of things that provide you more security. But then you need to monitor those. And Azure Security Center is key for that.
1: Yeah. And, and related to that, only today, you know, the day of this recording, I uh, read a story on Twitter, uh, a company that have exposed all their uh, virtual machines are accessible over internet. So anyone who knows the IP can connect to them, which is obviously not good. They were just attacked by ransomware. Their entire organization, 6,000 employees, have to shut everything down. All PCs, all networks, everything. Everything is locked down. So even though, you know, whether you're in the cloud, if, if you have, like they probably have data centers, their own data centers, always stay one step ahead. You need to think about security and Azure Security Center does help you with that. And I, I use it every single day and I have alerts set up and I have policies configured and I have Azure monitoring to help on the other side of the spectrum with costs and performance and security insights. And Then I use the security center every single day to ensure that am I still on top of things? Are we still compliant with all these policies and ISO standards and whatever it is uh, that our organization needs to follow so, you know, the key takeaway, just like you mentioned there, uh, things are inherently pretty secure. But then if we deploy something and we just open all the ports to the internet, you know, that that's going to be on us. This is, if it's widely accessible, doesn't matter if it's in the cloud or on-prem or on your laptop or somewhere else. If it is accessible, it's accessible, right? Yep. So always ensure you stay on top of things. And uh, Security Center helps a lot with that.
0: Uh, one of the things that, that I've realized now implementing Azure Security Center for customers is that the pricing model, it's sort of clear, but once you start going with the paid tier, the, the standard, I think it's called nowadays, uh, it's it's a bit challenging to to understand how much are you paying for the additional features in ASC and for which assets or nodes. So let's imagine you have 35 virtual machines. It might be that that you have the standard uh, additional features that affect 16 of those. And out of those 16, only 10 are up and running. So you're actually paying for those 10, not the 35 that you have in total. So that's that's something that I often spend a little bit extra time in factoring in how much is this going to cost and mm-hmm. what are we actually getting out of this?
1: Yeah. And I I like uh, from the, um, if if you're not on the standard and and you go to the security center, it's going to say, if you want to use this feature, you need to upgrade, click here. And then it's also going to show you, you know, you have zero out of 25 VMs protected. It's going to be this many dollars per month if you enable that. So I, I like that view, but it would be good to have this on a bigger picture. You know, what, can you give me an estimate? If I enable this, can you give me an estimate what it'll cost? given I enable it for every single resource in my subscription and my management group subscriptions. Because I don't want Azure Security Center for a subscription. I use it for my entire directories uh, subscriptions because I have a directory, and in there I have management groups. In my management groups, I have various different subscriptions. All of them need to be covered. You cannot cover one subscription here and not one over there. Well, obviously, depending on what kind of organization you have, but then if one fails to be compliant with regulations, then already there we've failed. So I want this, you know, cross subscription kind of cost management also for the security center stuff. So I don't know if, you know, what is exist with that today or in moving forward. But I really hope I can just click a button and it will tell me by the end of this month, your bill is going to increase or decrease by this much because you added so many resources.
0: Yeah, the the whole billing budgeting thing—it's it's transparent, but it's it, it requires additional effort to follow up and and estimate that what's it's going to be this month. Uh Azure cost management has this trend line that that's super helpful because it gives you a rough estimate. Yeah. But at the same time, if you click a button in in Azure Security Center to secure two hundred VMs it will obviously take a little bit of time before Azure cost management will realize that change.
1: Yeah, but I, but I also like that because it's also predictive. Because given the usage patterns that you have and what you have consumed so far this month or rolling three months or whatever time period you, you pick, you get a pretty accurate uh, prediction given that you continue the same pattern. But like you say, you enable 20 new VMs with security, security center, it might take a bump up. Uh, Speaking of costs, another thing that I really like is with log analytics that you now have capacity-based pricing also. And this is something I I know we briefly touched upon when talking about Sentinel before. Uh, You now have capacity reservations, uh, and that's a pricing model for Azure Monitor log analytics customers. So if you have hundreds of gigabytes per day uh, of data flowing into your logs, now you may want a better prediction of the cost. Because by default, you're on pay as you go, like you normally are with your Azure subscription and you pay for whatever you use. Now you can secure the fees of your data ingestion and it comes to, I think they said about 25% discount Mm -hmm. uh, versus the pay as you go. And you can, of course, still stay with pay as you go. But if you have an enterprise, you have a lot of data and you're ingesting a lot of data, several hundred gigabytes per day, the cost will go up. And if you have big fluctuations in that, you can also secure those fees a little bit better by using the capacity reservation model, which I really like if you're at that level of data ingestion.
0: So so it seems it makes sense to use capacity reservations when you have 100 gigs per day of logs or more, because then yep. obviously you get the 25% discount immediately. And when you have that amount of data flowing through per day, it also makes sense to optimize the cost.
1: Yep. And it also depends on where the data comes from, right? Because I I see a lot of people building their custom applications and that might be spread across 100,000 employees using it in various aspects. And all of that is ingesting logs to um, log analytics. And that will build up to a lot of data. Uh, So you can also control there, you know, what kind of data are you logging? What kind of data are you ingesting? But what if you make an application update? And this is something maybe IT pros might not think about when they do this and you go pay as you go but the development teams might enable different logging, which now duplicate the amount of data you send, right? Even oh, if true. you have okay. 25,000 users or a hundred thousand users using whatever application it is, and you're not double the logs in a single day with a new release, you don't have those hundred gigs anymore. You might have 125 or 200 or whatever, because you're now logging a lot more from your, your internal apps as well. Uh, so it's, it's good to stay on top of that and again back to cost management understanding the costs and then capacity reservations is also for protecting you from those spikes um, so I, I really like where things are going with that
0: definitely and i think we can raise one last thing uh on, on on all of the announcements on on azure monitor so so we've talked about azure monitor a couple of times we probably need to have like a A bit more deep dive to that at some point, definitely on Azure Monitor as it relates to log analytics. And we already had the chat on Azure Sentinel. So Azure Monitor also will get the network insights in preview and faster processing uh, in traffic analytics, which I think is something that's great. I've been waiting for it to be a bit faster. I often need to analyze traffic between VMs or VNets or to the VPN. And my understanding now with the traffic analytics is that it's sort will of process data at 10-minute intervals. So right. you, can, you can factor in this in your planning that let's do analytics, let's get a cup of coffee, then we should have uh, new insights instead of guessing when it would actually update those analytics. Yeah.
1: Um, I really like that. And I, I've related to App Insights, I'm also seeing that there's a new App Insights agent and you also have application change analysis uh, when applications changes and you can monitor that. And there's new capabilities with no code monitoring for .NET applications running on VMs. So if you are still on IIS, but on a hosted VM in Azure, mm-hmm. uh, you can now, without code changes, say that uh, the new App inside agent that include enhancements for debugging and profiling should monitor my IIS and .NET processes and collo- collect the telemetry this way and then feed that back to App Insight. So this is also a a powerful thing if you're not on an app service, but you still run your own web server, if you will, with IIS on the VMs, uh, which some organizations do for, you know, a plethora of different reasons. But if you still want to monitor and be able to have all the analytics, you can now, without changing the code, just plug that in. And this will be fed into App Insights. And you can, without even going into the VM, just see this data in Azure Monitor, which is really cool.
0: This is something I would have needed last year. Uh, <laughs> I, I had um, a request from a customer at the time that they had their custom solution running in VMs and they were contemplating on migrating those to the cloud. And And one of the things they wanted was application insights-based reporting and telemetry. Right. And, and I built this prototype around a classic NT service. So I would have the hooks from the NT service back to application insights. And it wasn't painful, but it was overly complex on what I was expecting when I promised to build something around it. Yeah. And to me, it seems that if I have anything running in .NET, I can simply uh, upgrade the app inside Agent in the VM and, and that's it.
1: Yeah. And another cool thing uh, re- regarding monitoring, and we talked a little bit about containers before and how you can do vulnerability assessments inside of a container, Um you know, the container monitoring solutions are also ever-expanding. And with Azure Monitor now, you also have container monitoring. So you can monitor performance of container workloads deployed to either Azure container instances or to the managed service of Kubernetes, which is the AKS or Azure Kubernetes services. So you also get better built-in monitoring for those things, which I will find very helpful because I do a lot of container stuff. Um, and I've built my kind of my own solutions around it or i've used a third party to get better insights but now if we can get this directly from the azure monitor you know that makes me a very happy guy
0: definitely so azure monitor azure security center um and and a lot on security in and itself they all received a lot of uh updates a lot of changes a lot of a lot of new announcements uh during ignites um anything you want to raise as as a final point regarding <laughs> yeah
1: okay so i've just take taken the five percent of my list so <laughs> uh, you know i realize i'm not going to be able to to go through all of the things that i find interesting to to take a look at um so i think from my side these are the things that i right now look forward to the most to try out and and to take a look at so nothing else from my side right now how about you
0: um, I am raising one more thing that I am definitely going to try when, when the, the preview is out. I think it, it will be this week. It's called Azure Farm beats and, and it's not a music solution for farmers, but uh, Azure Farm Bits seems to be this sort of uh, AI-based system that leverages Azure IoT platform that allows me to build a digital twin if I have a farm. So obviously I don't have a farm. I'm not I'm not raising anything or, 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 or uh producing anything. But Azure Farm Beats, it's so far out to what I usually do in, in my work that I definitely need to try this out with perhaps a small piece of land I have access to and see what I could perhaps build around Azure Farm bits
1: Well, wow, this is Okay. Now we can do an entire episode on that. I've automated greenhouses. I've built IoT uh, connected devices that are connected to the Azure hubs, IoT hubs, um, sending data of weather moisture, uh, water levels, and how many times per day I need to open the hatch because the sun is getting too hot. And oh my God. So, because when you said farms, I initially thought you meant SharePoint farms that I've worked (laughs) with a lot back in the day. And I'm like, wow, you can do what are you going to do with that? <laughs> and now I realize you're talking about actual farms that normal people talk about. Um, yep. And that does sound interesting. So let's, you know, when you start looking into that, ping me. Cause I, I want it. That sounds cool.
0: Yes, I would definitely do it. And then we can be cloud farmers.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very excited already. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you. That's it from my side. Um, and, I mean, you're still at Ignite. So enjoy the show, enjoy the trip and enjoy all the social interactivity and all that stuff that I'm missing out on. Um, if anything cool comes up, you know, give me a ping and let's do another episode.
0: I will definitely do it. And let's add on the show notes um, our links to a lot of the resources we talked about today.
1: Yeah, let's do that. All right, see you next time.
0: See you next time.